Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Happy Friday. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble Washington correspondent, filling in, trying to fill the great shoes of Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to talk about, and I obviously am back. They didn't fire me. I didn't break it, as they said yesterday, so you you got me again today. Griff Jenkins here. We're going to talk about everything from the new sanctions on Russia, whether that's going to do anything. We're going to talk about the border, even more news. We're going to talk today about the state of the race. We're also, by the way, going to talk about that little thing happening on the moon. But we want to start where all eyes are on South Carolina, on the low country. And we have Fox News correspondent Mark Meredith, a colleague, a friend, and one of the best in the business there in Charleston. Mark, uh, I heard you earlier today telling the Fox & Friends crew you were going to work on getting some uh, biscuits and gravy for breakfast, which you'd not yet had a chance. Have we at least accomplished that? Griff, no, they're working us too hard. You know, you come down to Charleston, <laughs> and it's going to be kind of a break. And no, it's been every hour on the hour, but I'm honored to be with you here, buddy, and of course, uh, thrilled to call you a friend as well. So, you're right. The reason we're here in South Carolina, you've got the primary tomorrow, Nikki Haley versus former President Trump, and the polls, Griff, as you know, have been showing that Trump is just going to dominate here, and that is fascinating, considering this is Haley's home state. She was governor. She's a household name, and it really hasn't seemed to make a difference yet. And you know, Mark, I think, you know, all of our listeners and viewers, you know, keep asking themselves, why does she stay in since she's from South Carolina, was a popular governor there, and now clearly, um, I mean, if she came back and actually won this thing tomorrow, it would defy uh, and break uh, all political records of past. Well, it would certainly create a whole different narrative about whether or not Trump's uh, eventual renomination is inevitable. I mean, that would go out the window instantly. But there's just not been that indication that that's going to happen. And you talk, and I, the reason I also could say that a little bit more confidence is because you've got the Republican establishment in this state all behind Trump. You've got Governor McMaster backing Trump. You've got Tim Scott, who Nikki Haley appointed to the Senate, that basically Haley gave him his job. And he's backing Trump. You've got uh, Nancy Mace in the first district down here in the Low Country, who is uh, also a very close friend of Nikki Haley, and she's backing Trump. So I, I just find that fascinating. I would have thought for some of these folks that they would say, "Hey, look, you know, maybe I'll just stay on the sidelines. And they don't want to get on Trump's bad side. Maybe they would just stay quiet." Instead, he has really snatched up the uh, Republican establishment in the state. And just so our viewers and listeners understand. Is South Carolina a winner-take-all, or is it proportional that Nikki Haley It's a winner-take-all, and yeah, it's 50 delegates up for grabs. So, um, I mean, again, all indications are that uh, Trump will walk away with this contest with no problem. He's going to be in Rock Hill uh, in the upstate campaigning today. Uh, He'll be in Columbia, I believe, tomorrow night, and then we're down here in Charleston where Nikki Haley is going to be. But what I think is fascinating, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it earlier in the week, was her speech in Greenville in which Haley came out and was like, Hell or high water, I'm not going anywhere. I will be there well after what happens in South Carolina, which could be smart on her part because it takes away the, oh, will she drop out, the suspense. If she's already said that, it kind of prevents people from writing her political obituary. Instead, she has said, I'm going to keep on living well after what happens here. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, she was in yesterday in uh, Georgetown, South Carolina, yeah. just a little north of uh, of Charleston and just south of Pauley's Island. I've been spending Your the last, yeah. the know, last three there. decades down down there, and we'll be there back this uh, this summer and going down to Georgetown to get some great shrimp. It just came off the boat. But she was talking yesterday about staying in the race, and I don't want to keep you too long. I just quickly want to play this and then get your reaction on the other side. Here's cut one, Nikki Haley in Georgetown. Now, we don't anoint kings in America. We have elections. And after two states, there's no way we were going to name him the nominee. South Carolinians deserve the right to vote, as do every other state after that. Let's let them vote. Does that, uh, in the last 30 seconds, because I don't want to keep it too long, Mark, but that that, that kind of sounds like she's going to keep going beyond South Carolina. Absolutely. In fact, she's already released her travel schedule, so we know she's going to places like Minneapolis, Utah. She's going to Virginia. I think North Carolina on the list as well. So I think it's really a, a smart move on her part because if you want the money to keep flowing in, you have to indicate that you are going to need money <laughs> to go to these places. Uh, yeah. And, to, but to Trump's point and Trump's circus points, that after Super Tuesday, I mean, the majority, uh, I mean, so many of these delegates will have been awarded that, you know, could she catch up? That may be the, the X factor that nobody sees the math from there. But we're not there yet. South Carolina votes tomorrow. Polls open 7 a.m., close at 7 p.m. You got 50 delegates for grabs and grip. No matter what, I'm going to eat well. I had some fried green tomatoes last night. Tonight, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> I am going to stuff my face after this morning's show. So oh, man, imagine. there is no cuisine like the low country in South Carolina. I am biased. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Great coverage down there, Mark. I know you got to get busy. Thanks for taking time and joining us. Thanks, buddy. Have a great day. All right. So you heard from Mark there. It's winner take all, and it is obviously not expected to be a victory for Nikki Haley. And you've got to wonder why stay in? Give us a call here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Griff Jenkins, humble D.C. correspondent, filling in for Brian. Give us a shout at 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. Should Nikki Haley stay in? I mean, I was having a conversation, and this is the beauty of radio. This is the magic of radio. And as a kid that started in radio, now does TV, it's so much fun to be back behind a radio mic because I can not only pontificate, but I can – share things that happen behind the scenes. And I was talking recently with a with a colleague about Nikki Haley's really uh well let's make it polite, the uphill climb, if you will. In in you know, she's down thirty points or more in South Carolina going into this. Why would she be embarrassed? As Mark Meredith pointed out, everybody who's anybody in politics in South Carolina, from Governor McMaster to Senator Tim Scott to Congresswoman Nancy Mace, all behind Trump. I mean, if that's not a slight, I don't know what is. And my colleague was was saying, you know, what happens if she does keep going and continues to lose? And it occurred to me, for fans of Monty Python's Holy Grail, she might end up being the Black Knight. If you remember that scene where he's getting his arm cut off and his leg is all, I saw just a flesh wound. I'm okay. Come back here and fight, you scary cat. And, and, you know, there's literally nothing left of this night. And, and that that is not a good look when you consider the stakes that Nikki Haley has, if the nominees end up being, as it looks like today, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, whoever wins in November, the primary for 2028 starts on 
the day after inauguration in 2025 because they are one-termers. Neither can go longer. And so you figure if you're Nikki Haley, why stay in it and and go down in flames when you could be looking at a restart and you're going to need to do it in your home state of South Carolina where you're from and everyone will remember not that you fought hard and got out like Ron DeSantis, but that you held on so long. Or maybe there's a different thinking here. Maybe the logic is that she thinks that Trump doesn't make it to November and perhaps his legal problems become so bad that under Republican rules, she will have the second most delegates and she will have picked up more than anybody. And so it would be de facto her nomination. However, it doesn't look like she's going to add any in South Carolina unless she can beat Donald Trump tomorrow. It's going to be very fascinating. Meanwhile, I teased something, you know, Allison asked me what I want to talk about. Let me tell you what matters to me. It was an event, not getting a ton of play, but a little bit of attention. It was, I was two years old when we put a man on the moon. The race in space mattered at a pivotal time in the Cold War. It changed the trajectory of history. And yet now, as a 53-year-old, I watched yesterday private industry do what government could not. We literally saw capitalism be an Uber driver to pick up NASA, put her in the back seat, and say, come along for a ride. At a time when China and Russia are back in a space race to put a human back on the moon. Here is our Fox correspondent, uh, space correspondent, Connor Walsh, with a little bit, uh, Hansen, sorry, Connor Hansen, with a little bit of a summary of exactly what it is that private company Intuitive Machines has done. Listen. For the first time since the Apollo mission more than 50 years ago, the U.S. is on the moon. But this time, it's a private company, Intuitive Machines, behind the mission. NASA helped fund the project with $118 million. The Odysseus lunar lander carried six NASA experiments. It also brought insulating fabric from Columbia sportswear, cameras, and sculptures from a famous artist. It'll be a really important next step in um, establishing more of a longer-term presence on the moon and testing new technologies for landing on the moon. Researchers say it's a crucial step towards putting humans back on the moon, landing on the southern part of the lunar surface. Researchers hope Odysseus can find ice crystals that could be turned into water, oxygen, and even fuel. Now, the mission itself was a nail-biter. At one point, the crewless, so there's no humans on this, the crewless uh, uh, ship, uh, I'm not exactly sure what we call it, that they, they landed on, lost contact with communications. And unlike the bureaucratic mess in behemoth that government is, this private industry, these bold, brave capitalists were able to take a risk 
on some emerging technology, and they said, I think this will work. Yeah, let's give it a shot. And guess what? It worked, lo and behold. And we heard, by the way, from former senator, now NASA administrator, Bill Nelson, talking about the importance of a commercial company landing a lunar on the moon. Here is Cut 18. Today, for the first time in more than a half century, the U.S. has returned to the moon. Today, for the first time in the history of humanity, a commercial company, an American company, launched and led the voyage up there. And today is a day that shows the power and promise of NASA's commercial partnerships. Odysseus has taken the moon. How about that? NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, former senator, understands, talks about the promise of the future. And the most important part of that soundbite is that it was the first time in history that the private industry, the commercial industry, capitalism partnered with NASA and did what NASA could not. If you recall, then Vice President Mike Pence announced the Artemis program, spent billions and billions of dollars. And in fairness, NASA is there, obviously, as a partner. But the important part of that soundbite is when Administrator Nelson says it was an American company. And in this day and age, when there is so much disdain for America, when Americans march openly in our streets, condemning the evils of our past, and talking about what a terrible people we are and the evils of capitalism, you look at history going full circle, 50 years apart, and yet what matters? That space race. And guess who got there first? We did an American company with capitalism driving the ship. Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got a whole lot more coming up. Stay right there, 866-408-7669. Let me know what you think about going to the moon. We'll be right back. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, and the more you listen, the more you are going to know. This is Griff Jenkins filling in. Honored to get the opportunity to fill in for my great friend Brian Kilmeade, your humble D.C. correspondent, taking a break. I flew all the way from the border, which is a mess, ground zero now in California, to try and fill the great shoes of Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Give us a call, 866-408-7669, and let me know if you are impressed, if you think it's a big deal that we went to the moon, or you don't, and that's okay, too. Maybe you don't care, but I'm here to tell you that the event that isn't getting that much attention, a private company, Intuitive Machines, putting a lunar back on the moon after more than 50 years, an American company. It's just another chapter in the most exceptional, generous, 
kind, compassionate country on planet Earth. And if you don't think that it was symbolic to other countries like China, like Russia, our enemies, Iran, North Korea, to show them again why we are the world leader, the greatest nation on the planet, you're wrong. Now, there was also very significant scientific advancements with this. So just to um, kind of summarize briefly, they wanted to go, everybody wants to go to the South Pole because of of this water ice. That's what they're calling it, that that they found that exists on the moon. And the associate NASA administrator, Jim Free, sort of talked about that, about this water ice on the uh, lunar South Pole. Listen here. Uh, cut 20. Sorry, sorry about that. Large amounts of water ice will allow us to extract that for use by the crew, just from a water perspective. We'll also be able to split it into hydrogen and oxygen to use to make power in fuel cells or even propellant for rockets somewhere in the future. <laughs> somewhere in the future, our great producer, Eric, here, telling me at the break, he said, you know, he, he, he put it best. He said, there is a sense that we could basically use the moon uh, and turn it into a gas station on the way to Mars. Remember, we want to go to Mars. But just to recap, and, 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 you know, it's Friday. I'm all sorts of excited. But I'm excited to know not only that America is still the world's leader in all things, particularly in this space race, but also, it's a good day to celebrate the fact that capitalism and private industry was able to succeed where government hadn't yet. It's a partnership. But the government and NASA couldn't have done it without good old American ingenuity and private investment. Griff Jenkins on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Morning, I had the honor of meeting with Alexei Navalny's wife and daughter. As you state the obvious, he was a man of incredible courage. And it's amazing how his wife and daughter are, are emulating that. And we're going to be announcing the sanctions against Putin, who is responsible for his death, tomorrow. And uh, but the one thing I made that was made clear to me is that uh, Yolanda is going to she's going to continue to the fight he had underway. So we're not letting up. That was President Biden out in San Francisco saying he had met with Alexei Navalny's widow and her daughter yesterday. And, of course, teasing that announcement today of the. What is being billed as some of the harshest sanctions against Russia to date. I'm Griff Jenkins filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Give us a shout, 866-408-7669. If you want to weigh in on the moon or these sanctions, we're lucky now to go to the White House and talk to my colleague and one of the best in the business, Jackie Heinrich. Hey, Jackie, uh, listen, what's going on over there? I know, you know, this announcement, I've seen you reporting a little bit out there that this is being billed as some pretty tough sanctions. But the question everyone's kind of thinking is, will it work? 
Hey, thanks for having me, Griff. Um, and very sweet compliment. You're too kind. Uh, yeah, this is being billed by the administration as the most crushing single round of sanctions yet. It's going to target people that were involved with uh, Navalny's imprisonment and his death, but also target Russia's industrial base uh, and some of these backdoor networks that they've relied upon to evade the sanctions so far. Up until now, the Biden administration has really tried to go after Russia's economy in a way that hasn't had the impact that the administration said that it would, at least not in a way that we can see. It would take effect over time, um, sort of going after the flow of technology and equipment that Russia's military depends on, sanctioning the central banks and capping oil prices. But even that has not been effective. You have countries like China and India and Brazil buying cheap Russian oil in record amounts. Russia uses that money to prop up its war machine and stimulate its economy. And while all this is happening, the U.S. has avoided having any sort of friction with these countries that are partnering with Russia, not limited to countries like Turkey and the UAE, who have been serving as these supply chain middlemen to allow uh, technology to get through that is banned by U.S. sanctions. So we will see what kind of impact this last or this new tranche has. There are about 500 entities the Biden administration is going to be targeting. Um, but it's also caused speculation that you recall when the administration imposed the first rounds of sanctions, they said this is going to be sweeping and crushing and it didn't have that effect. And so you, it begs the question, why didn't they pull every lever that they had in the beginning and will it have the impact that they have been hoping for all along? That's such a great point, Jackie. And I was listening to uh, Fox News military analyst uh, General Jack Keane this morning talking a little bit about, you know, since those initial sanctions and to this point now, Russia's economy grew by some 3%. So it's like if we're trying to cause economic difficulty, how do they grow their economy? He also pointed out that they're spending some 9% of their GDP on defense spending, which is more than the U.S. spends. So there must be some some head scratching and, and, and some anxiety maybe in, in the White House, uh, in the Situation Room, over whether this is really going to have its in, intended effect. Well, and, and the GDP increasing is directly tied to Russia spending the income that it's getting from selling its cheap Russian oil, and, and by the way, selling it in record quantities to China uh, and India and Brazil also, they're, they're spending that on their military, which is propping up their economy. And then what happens is it looks like the Biden administration um, has willfully allowed that to happen because they haven't gone after some of these countries that are facilitating that effort because it would have a ripple effect on the U.S. economy uh, and on our diplomatic relationships with some of these countries that we want to maintain ties with because of any number of reasons. If you're talking about the Middle East, there's a, that's a whole other follow act there. Um, but it has been criticized as weakness from the administration in terms of not enforcing sanctions and um, has undercut the effectiveness of the, the regime so far, the sanctions regime. 
You're listening to White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Griff Jenkins, her fellow correspondent here in D.C., filling in for Brian. And, Jackie, I don't want to keep you much longer because I know you've got to do some uh, TV business. But uh, quickly, if you can, so we do have President Biden and Vladimir Putin sort of exchanging words. What, 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 what It appears that maybe Putin uh, is indicating he would prefer to have Joe Biden's second term as opposed to a Trump return to the White House. Yeah, I don't know that we can, you know, take that at face value. This is the same Vladimir Putin who calls the war that he's been waging in Ukraine for two years a special military operation and regularly pumps out propaganda. Um, you don't know if he's trying to, you know, pull a move where then it would look like Biden has been endorsed by Russia and, and what kind of political impact that could have on Biden domestically in the U.S. Um, so careful not to take anything that, that Vladimir Putin says at face value. But um, former President Trump has certainly capitalized on those remarks and said Russia would love for Biden to be in office, and so would China. And he has you know, made use of those comments from Putin. So we'll see where it goes. Biden you know, did not sort of echo any of the love back. Uh, we've heard repeatedly from the White House that Putin should just stay out of U.S. elections. And recently Biden called Putin um, an SOB. <laughs> exactly. We live in interesting times. That's for sure. Great advice from Jackie Heinrich. Take Vladimir Putin's words uh, with a grain of salt at the very least. Jackie Heinrich, thank you very much for your coverage. Have a good day. We'll be watching you on Fox News. Thanks so much, Griff. Great show. All right. That was White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich. Great insights in uh, talking about the new round of sanctions, some 500. Uh, the the uh, State Department, you've got Victoria Newland, the, the political affairs person and undersecretary of state, saying that they're going to directly uh, target uh, folks involved with uh, Alexei Navalny's death. That sounds great. It looks good. The question is, is it all smoke and mirrors? Will it do anything? And as we were just discussing, obviously, when the uh, Russian economy is growing 3% because, as Jackie points out, they're able to sell this cheap oil to China, India, and the like. And when they're spending all of their money, 9% of their GDP on on, uh, on a war machine, well, it certainly doesn't seem that additional sanctions are going to work. By the way, I didn't get into it with Jackie, but I also uh, saw where the EU is going to launch their new uh, package of sanctions. And, and, and I can't, I'm scratching my head trying to remember the last time that the EU sanctions were effective at all. But you figure if the U.S. was worried about upsetting partners like India, for example, uh, and, and didn't want to get cross with them and, and, and smack them for buying this cheap Russian oil, then why in God's name, can't the EU? I mean, what, what else could the EU be possibly doing? I, I don't know. I, I do want to, by the way, tomorrow is the two-year anniversary of uh, Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine. And, and as a correspondent who did the first interview with President Zelensky just a few months after the war began in Kiev, and, uh, you know, the, they've compared him to our modern day Winston Churchill. And I'm here to tell you, whether you like him or not, whatever opinion you have of Ukraine, 
in, in the war over there and the U.S. supporting Ukraine or not. He is very much in every way the real deal. And Vladimir Putin would love for you to think that he's not. And while the war has really been a stalemate in the eastern Donbass region in places like Kharkiv, uh, where Brett Baer was just doing his interview with, with uh, President Zelensky, it has certainly not moved much of an inch, and hundreds of thousands uh, are losing their lives. In the case of Ukraine, good men and women with promising lives, uh, fighting, though, because they believe that Putin won't stop in Ukraine, and the threat to Ukraine is a threat to the free world. Now, he was uh, on a multi-part interview with with Brett Baer talking uh, about uh, the stalemate situation and and how complicated it is. And I've tried to sort of set it up. But here is cut 10. This is Zelensky speaking with Brett, talking about the front lines and and where things stand right now as we mark the two-year anniversary tomorrow. First of all, it's not a stalemate. Indeed, it's very complicated in the East. There is a lack of certain weapons. They do have air superiority, and they have superiority in terms of manpower. This is the fact, truly. And therefore, there is the stagnation on this part of the front line. We understand that we need to de-block the air. We need our partners not to forget that it's not a war that is taking place over one day, but two years. Only the joint efforts would be able to kind of fight back uh, Russians and to have Russians uh, go to concessions. Now, there's one other soundbite I want to give to you, and, and that is the one that, well, it piqued my interest the most. And that was when it came to Trump. You heard Jackie Heinrich talking about how uh, uh, the the whole Trump is picking up on Putin, who actually said in, in Russian language, Biden is preferable. Those are the actual words, whether he means it or not is anybody's guess, as Jackie points out. But but. The the part of the interview with Zelensky and Brett that really I was like, wow, that would be something was when Zelensky invited Trump to come to Kiev. Listen here. Cut 11. We'll tell him what's going on. First of all, why I said, please come. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see all the candidates and all the people who are decision makers or can support not to be against just to understand what the war in Ukraine means, who opened this war, who began it, and what's going on, what's around, what brilliant Ukraine we had. We have beautiful country, but in the war, it's another picture, another lives. I suggest him just to come. I'm ready to go with him. Should Donald Trump go to Ukraine and meet with Zelensky? As we pointed out yesterday, talking with Mark Thiessen, with a great op-ed he wrote in the Washington Post about how Republicans really should support Ukraine. Because then President Donald Trump was given javelins, millions of dollars of arms to Ukraine. Now this, to have Trump, and of course Donald Trump says he can fix anything to include getting a peace deal and ending that war in 24 hours. It would be remarkable. And Vladimir Zelensky is not a stupid politician. He's looking at the polls. He's looking at what's happening in our elections. He knows that the next head of state in America that he may be dealing with is named Donald J. Trump. And if the House Republicans don't support Ukraine aid and end up getting a 
president, next president Donald Trump, a weaker hand in this issue, well, then Zelensky wants to have a seat at that table. And that's why he's telling him to come there. Now, I would submit to you, I think if I was advising Donald Trump politically, he's got nothing to lose to go. Some may say, well, you know, the people that are upset about the aid we're giving to Ukraine, it's a bad look. But it is definitely and undoubtedly one of the main pressing issues of our time. And so if you want to be president again, you're going to have to show you can lead in every way. So I think they should pack their bags and take Trump Force One all the way to Kiev. We'll see if that happens. What do you think? Should he go or should he not go? 866-408-7669. I'm Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmeade Show on this amazing Friday. Get excited. We'll be right back. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And the problem is, Donald Trump can't win a general election. Look at any of the polls. He's down by five. He's down by seven. On his best day, there was a Marquette poll that came out today. He's margin of error with with Joe Biden. I'm in every one of those same polls. That Marquette poll has me beating Joe Biden by 18 points. 18 points. Oh, we got a scrap in the low country down in South Carolina. The primary winner take all tomorrow. That, of course, Nikki Haley. This is Griff Jenkins on this Friday on the Brian Kilmeade Show filling in. And we are taking your calls at 866-408-7669. Jacob in Columbia, South Carolina. Happy Friday, Jacob. What do you think is going to happen in your great state tomorrow? Hello, Griffin. Um, basically, I think it's not going to matter too much whether Haley wins or loses. And the reason for that is she has no Midwestern support so far. She didn't do very well in Iowa. Um, she lost a one-person race against herself in the uh, the state-run primary, not the caucus in Nevada. So basically, you can't win on just the South alone. You need the support of the Midwest to win a presidential election. That's happened every, uh, well, election ever. So she doesn't have the Midwestern support um, I don't think tomorrow's going to matter that much in the long run, even if she does win, because she's just not that popular in the Midwest, it looks like. Hey, Jacob, let me ask you a couple of questions. Yes, sir. W- one, yeah. uh, if, if you're comfortable telling me, who will you be voting for? And two, I'm fascinated by the uh, overwhelming support from Governor McMaster, Senator Tim Scott, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, all, you know, the who's who of the political Republican elite in South Carolina jumping all lockstep behind Trump. Why? So to answer your question, one, I'm going to be voting for Donald Trump tomorrow. Um, one, I was not going to bring this up, but since you played the soundbite, it made me think um, Haley keeps going on about Trump can't beat Biden. Well, if Haley can't beat Trump, then it's kind of a moot point, isn't it? Um, second yeah. off, about the South Carolina um, government supporting Trump, you know, Nikki Haley, I've met her a couple of times. She's a nice lady. Um, she's good and all. She's really not what we need right now. We do kind of need a Trumpist, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> a Trump character. Yeah to go up against Biden to fix this mess that we're in. Trump was really good for South Carolina. Things were really good in South Carolina. Things have definitely declined in the last four years since Biden took over. Um, So I think that's why we're all kind of throwing our money behind Donald Trump 
And lastly, Jacob, before I run out of time, yeah. I'm dying to ask you, are South Carolinians looking at this potential landslide victory for Trump? And if, if the polls are close and, and Nikki Haley loses by 25, 30 points, how damaging does that end her political career? Does she can she run again later or will she lose too much uh, face? That is a great question, and I really don't know. I think she could have a political career in the future. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's that would work. Would it in her career? Maybe not. I think she might damage. I, I appreciate what she was saying, sticking into Super Tuesday, because I do believe that the primary system is critical. But um, yeah. at the same time, it might kind of look a bit desperate if she stays in to Super Tuesday. I think you have got. It exactly correct. Jacob in Columbia, South Carolina. Jacob, have a great Friday. And all the rest of you on the Brian Kilmeade Show, this is Griff Jenkins with a dream job on Friday, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Happy Friday, America. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent with the huge honor and tall task of filling in for my great friend, Brian Kilmeade. Nobody does it better. I mentioned yesterday when I had the same opportunity and honor to fill in, and I'm glad to be back today. And, you know, for a guy that remembers producing Brian Kilmeade when he was filling in for Tony Snow, I've come full circle here, and now I get to sit behind the mic, and oh my goodness, are you in trouble. We have got so much to talk about. Obviously, the border is on fire. It's actually worse from a national security Uh, risk standpoint than it has ever been. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the uh, White House announcing new sanctions. The other sanctions apparently didn't work on Russia because the economy in Russia grew 3%. They're spending more than the U.S. of their GDP, 9% Russia is, on their war machine. And we're also going to talk about that little thing happening down in the low country in South Carolina tomorrow, the primary winner take all. You have Nikki Haley trailing by massive numbers behind Donald Trump. But yet Nikki Haley makes the case that, well, Come general election, her competitor, who's up some 30 points on her, can't win. Here is Nikki Haley. Cut two. Go. And the problem is Donald Trump can't win a general election. Look at any of the polls. He's down by five. He's down by seven. On his best day, there was a Marquette poll that came out today. He's margin of error with, with Joe Biden. I'm in every one of those same polls. That Marquette poll has me beating Joe Biden by 18 points. 18 points! There you have it. She's making her final pitch. Now, I am not smart enough, experienced enough, bright enough to tell you what's going to happen in South Carolina tomorrow and beyond. But fortunately for this show, we have somebody, the amazing Byron York, chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner and Fox News contributor, and a guy I run into every now and then off camera in South Carolina. Hey, Byron, how are you? You're Where are you in South Carolina right now? I am in Columbia right now. Uh, went to a Haley event in Georgetown, South Carolina, which is on the coast yesterday. 
And then uh, I'm planning to go to a Trump event in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is about uh, an hour away from Columbia today. And then tomorrow's Election Day. It is indeed. And I want to get your prognostication of what's coming. However, you've got a great piece in the Washington Examiner today that I would encourage all of our listeners to read, which is you say that even if Haley gets crushed uh, tomorrow, she's not quitting at least for 10 days. Explain. Yeah, well, if you if you've heard Haley, she vows to stay in the race. Uh, she's not claiming that she's going to win South Carolina, which is her own home state, by the way. Usually politicians plan to win their home state, but she's not going to win here. And so, so the question is, well, how long is she going to stay in? And, and she's, if you listen to her carefully, she's only staying, planning to stay in until Super Tuesday, which is only 10 days after mm-hmm. the South Carolina primary. But uh, if I could go into a little history here, I looked at 2016, the big the last big race, the one that Trump won, of course, um, that race went till May 3rd. But what happened was every one of Trump's competitors, his main competitors, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, and then John Kasich, every one of them won something. They won some primaries somewhere. Uh, that's how the race got extended because, I mean, if, 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 nobody, if they had not won anything and there were plenty of candidates who didn't, they dropped out. So I think that if Haley loses here, this where where can you win question is going to get louder and louder for her. Such a great insight. And, you know, you're talking about 2016, Byron. You you, you reminded me, you jogged my memory a little bit. Uh, and, and, and just in short form, I'll tell a long story. I was a reporter for, you know, uh, Fox uh, on the campaign trail, just doing the, you know, all the stops. And they'd sent me, if you remember, Ted Cruz was coming in with all the momentum into South Carolina and it's conservative yeah. country. And they loved him. And, and, and it, it was a day or two before the primary and Cruz had a sold-out, standing-room-only event at um, this uh, very old, historic uh, uh, beach resort in Myrtle Beach. It's like, I don't know, Castles on the Sand or something like that. And, I mean, you know, it was packed. It was hard to get in there. And the campaign had agreed to, to you know, let him do a short interview with me. And I had to muscle my way in there. And the Duck Dynasty guys, that that, that awesome uh, reality yeah, show. I remember they were with Cruz. Uh, which, yeah. again, I believe watched now on uh, Fox Nation some episodes and and they were introducing them and it was just really a big deal and it was about 10 in the morning and uh, got the interview sent in and they're like great job Griff got the exclusive interview of the day okay here we go Ted Cruz is going to win here we go Ted Cruz is going to be president got all this momentum and they said by the way can you go Donald Trump has a rally he's doing some rally at a, at a, a, a marine yeah, uh, an aquarium, you know, the Myrtle Beach Aquarium, about 10 miles inland. If you could stop by and get some of that, who knows what happens? I'm like, okay, let's do that. I was 30 or 40 minutes late, and I thought I was going to arrive an hour early because roads were blocked for block after block after block. Parking yeah. lots were spilling over. The aquarium thing held like 400, and there was 1,000, 2,000 people outside. And I remember yeah. at that moment, early on, I called our political team and said, you're not going to believe this. I'm telling you, something's up. And then, of course, that turned into it. And now, here we are, and, and I'll finally end this long diatribe, but here we are watching 
Henry McMaster, the governor, Senator Tim Scott, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, the who's who of the South Carolina GOP powerhouses lockstep behind Donald Trump. What do you make of it? Well, yeah, it's particularly bad for uh, Nikki Haley being the favorite son candidate. I mean, she won. She won the governor's office twice in South Carolina. And you're right, the governor of South Carolina, the two senators of South Carolina, Graham and Scott, um, most of the Republican House delegation, all of them have uh, endorsed Donald Trump. And it's so it's just it just shows you how uphill the uh, this battle is. And, you know, talking about rallies. Going to Haley rallies, she's 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 conducting a very conventional campaign. She's got a bus mm-hmm. and she goes around and she gets good crowds uh, in Georgetown, maybe three hundred, maybe three fifty, something like that. And um, and the, the 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 everyone's polite. I mean the 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 people are polite, the staff is polite, the applause is kind of polite, which is not really great uh, in a political rally. Okay, last rally <laughs> Trump had here was uh, in Conway. You remember that's the one where he got in trouble for the stuff he said about uh, uh, NATO. Uh, yeah, but yeah, right, that right. was that was intense. I mean, if you were, I, I was really going to to just kind of judge the intensity of his voters. Uh, it was much bigger. The 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 event held about thirty five hundred people, and then they had a lot of people outside. So maybe five thousand people or so came, and um, and just the relationship between Trump and his voters is so intense. Uh, it was loud. So uh, you know, it's, it's just a very different phenomenon, and you know, it it appears the polls may not be exactly right. Maybe closer than than. The polls say, uh, but it seems like Trump still has a substantial lead. Yeah, and actually Trump, you know, is is uh, being, uh, oh gosh, how should I put this, Byron? Maybe passive aggressive in his commentary and saying, yeah, sure, she's got a right to run, but she's got no chance. Here, Here's a cut I'll play for you. Uh, Donald Trump cut five talking about Haley and how much he's going to lose by. Listen here. You see the polls today? I'm up by 12 points and 14 over crooked Joe Biden. And in a national poll, I'm up by 91 points on, on, I won't use the term because it's, some people think it's a little bit nasty, but some people you don't like very much. Uh, Haley, Haley, I'm up 91 points. That's a lot. <laughs> and in South Carolina, Nikki Haley is losing to me. It looks like she's going to lose by 25 or 30 points. That's a lot. She's governor, but people don't like her too much. So there you go. Only in, in, in Trump fashion. Now, you know, I was talking with, with Allison and Eric and, and our producers on, on Brian's great radio show here uh, about, you know, if, if Haley really does lose by 20, 25, 30 points and stays in, as you say, through Super Tuesday and there is no win out there, at some point – like the image that pops into my mind is Monty Python's Holy Grail when King Arthur is trying to pass the Black Knight on the road and the Black Knight simply won't give up. <laughs> I think yeah. we've got a clip from it. This, this is, is this the future for Nikki Haley? Listen here. Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? 
Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that, then? I've heard worse. You liar! Come on, you pansy! You're indeed brave tonight, but the fight is mine. Oh, had enough, eh? Look, you stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look! Just a flesh wound. <laughs> Just a flesh wound. I know you recall that movie. Like, it's like turning into the to Monty Python Holy Grail. I do recall that scene. Uh, and, you know, look, the, the, the polls uh, have tightened a little bit in South Carolina, but they still show Trump up by 25 points. I mean, that is a devastating loss in one's home state. And, and Haley is just kind of acting like that's just a given. And now she's going to move on to uh, to Super Tuesday. But your point is correct. At, at some point, uh, the candidacy seems kind of pointless if she doesn't win somewhere. And, you know, the cliche is that political campaigns end when they run out of money. But right. there are a lot of donors who want Haley to stay in. And uh, some of those are small donors, but a lot of them are big donors. The, a lot the Republican donor class is pretty anti-Trump. Um, so she appears to have the money to stay in past Super Tuesday. But unless she wins something on Super Tuesday, I mean, really, it, there's not going to be a lot of yeah. point to it. Byron Newark joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, trying to fill those great giant shoes. Hey, Byron, thanks for your time. I don't want to take too much more. I just got one last question for you, and that is this. We heard in that interview with Trump on uh, Laura Ingram this week that the, he, he, he named some potential running mates. I think it was six yeah. of them total, and Nikki Haley wasn't among them. Do you think Haley is in the consideration for the running mate? Well, at her um, rally, she said, look, I don't want to be a running mate, and I think everything I've done recently kind of proves that. She was referring to the fact that she's attacked Trump a lot, and um, there's kind of bad blood between them. Uh, the only thing I would say is I, I think it's pretty unlikely, but Trump is the most transactional human being I think I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, it's all really business. I mean he can be trading insults with somebody – uh, one day and be doing business with them the next. It's it's just business. So I, I, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think she's really very unlikely, but it's not impossible. That's right. Byron York, Washington Examiner, Chief Local Correspondent and Fox News contributor and smart guy, all-around great guy and good friend. Byron, thanks for taking time today. Have a great weekend. We'll see what happens. You want to make a prediction, by the way, on uh, – uh, should I should I get out on a limb and say maybe Trump will win? I don't know. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just leave it to the uh, prognosticators. There you go. Thanks, Byron. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Griff. All right. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble correspondent, talking to the great Byron York. Really got some insight. He's on the ground there in South Carolina. Who knows? But, you know, he points out in his column today that, you know, Haley's probably not going to quit for at least 10 days. That would get us to Super Tuesday on March 5th. And our callers also talking about how important the primary process is. Who knows where it goes? 866-408-7669. Give us a call. We'll talk about anything you want. South Carolina, the border, Russia sanctions. And we'll even talk about the landing on the moon. I'm Griff Jingens on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
America's Greatest Radio Show right here, the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, trying to fill those great big shoes of Brian, filling in from D.C. And we got politics on the brain right now because, as we were just talking with Byron York, chief political correspondent for Washington Examiner and Fox News contributor down there in Columbia, South Carolina, following it, expecting, you know, will Haley not actually lose by 25 points? Would she only lose by, say, seven points? What's that mean? Is she going to go, as Byron uh, predicts, all the way to at least Super Tuesday, March 5th, 10 days from tomorrow? Who knows? But on the Democrat side, on the other side of the aisle, what a unprecedented situation playing out. You have... An incumbent president with some of the lowest ratings, certainly unprecedented when it comes to the issue of the border and immigration. Biden's latest approval rating is 75 percent. Three out of four don't approve of his handling of the border because it looks, by all accounts, and on the videos and drone cameras that Bill Malusian and I have been showing, like the entire southwest border is just wide open to the entire world. You've got the spike in Chinese coming. You've got a record number of criminal migrants. You've got people from Syria, Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, Peru, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, you name it, they're coming. And maybe that's part of why you have Democrats, David Axelrod, the guy that made Obama, and Don Peebles, who was talking to my friend Neil Cavuto. Uh, he, of course, was a former Obama, uh, not as well known as Axelrod, but certainly as important when it comes to fundraising. Very wealthy guy and a great fundraiser. Here's a little bit of what he said about turning the page on Joe Biden. Listen here, cut seven. Barack Obama, you're a very close friend. You were very helpful uh, getting elected president. Um, he's apparently concerned about his former vice president. In fact, he's quite alarmed. Uh, are you? Yes. I mean, I think that the Democratic Party should turn the page. President Biden was to be a transitional president. I even said it on your show that I thought that he would be president and uh, Kamala Harris would be waiting in the wings, learning how to become president. Um, I think she has mm -hmm. disappointed a lot of people, including me. And I think that uh, uh, the team that's in place now ought to step aside. I mean, I don't see how he can beat Donald Trump. So what does Democrat Senator John Fetterman think about that? Well, he says, might be time to put your MAGA hat on if you're going to say that kind of stuff. Listen here. Cut eight. And we also have to start having you know, all kinds of Democrats criticizing the president, too, publicly. I, I don't understand why. I don't know what's in it for you to do that, whether you're just chasing clout or you want to make it in the news or anything like that. But if you're not willing to just support the president now and say these kinds of things, you might as well just get your MAGA hat because you now yeah. are helping Trump at this. Apparently in the Democrat Party, there is no Ronald Reagan 11th commandment, which says no Republican shall speak ill of their fellow Republicans. I'm Griff Jenkins from the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
The fastest three hours on the best radio show in the country, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your humble D.C. correspondent, Griff Jenkins, trying to fill the mighty shoes of Brian Kilmeade on this Friday. We have got so much to talk about. We're just talking about the South Carolina race, whether or not Nikki Haley is headed for a Monty Python Holy Grail Black Knight future, or will she surprise us? Does she hang on till Super Tuesday? We've talked a little bit about the border. We're talking about these new sanctions, which may or may not do anything like the last sanctions. It did nothing in terms of dissuading Russia's aggression. And we are talking about that exceptional event that occurred yesterday with such little fanfare, and that was America back on the moon. Not a human, but a lunar craft landing in the south pole of the moon. Hopefully we will soon have perhaps some of the most amazing images of a crater in the South Pole there. We'll find out. But one thing is important. It wasn't China. It wasn't Russia. It wasn't Kazakhstan, Peru, Ecuador, or any of these other countries that are illegally crossing our border that had the 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 fortitude and the ability to put a craft on the moon after 50 years. It was America that did it. And not only did America do it, it wasn't even the government. NASA went for a ride, but the driver of that Uber trip was private industry. Intuitive machines putting a craft on the moon and bringing NASA along for the ride. What a feat it is. We are lucky, though, now on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669, to talk to one of the smartest, insightful, important conservative voices in the conservative movement today. You see him a lot on Fox News. He is a contributor and colleague of mine, a friend and the editor-at-large of The Spectator, Ben Dominich. Hey, Ben, there's so much to talk about today. And and I know you just got back from South Carolina. Uh, I've been uh, having fun here. I'm, I'm out of my reporter's shoes for a moment, I'm, and I'm looking at Nikki Haley comparing her to the Black Knight scene in, in Holy Grail. But But before I get there, did you pay attention to the moon? And be honest here, maybe maybe, maybe people don't care, but I was really struck by the exceptionalism of, of putting, you know, an American lunar craft back on the moon after more than 50 years. What's your take? Well, my take is that as somebody who uh, grew up, uh, you know, just inhaling every kind of, of book and piece of media that I could uh, about uh, the moon landing and everything related to uh, the NASA space program, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing for America to achieve. I think that we should do things like this more often. And, you know, in an era in which a lot of Americans feel uninspired or feel like America can't, you know, achieve certain things, you know, I think that this is a, a note, noteworthy the corrective, you know, something that, you know, can help people understand that, yes, we are capable of doing and achieving incredible things, and particularly uh, private industry that has become such a source of, of innovation and uh, uh, technological acumen. Uh, it's, I think it's just great. Uh, and look, I, I know that you are, are uh, putting on a, a different hat for the moment today, but, uh, you know, in, in South Carolina, I think that that's something that I really hope is, is sensed by the people who are there. I, I felt like there was a lot of grimness, frankly, uh, among the electorate there about the situation of the country, about the direction yeah. that things are going uh, and headed. Uh, and I feel like they you know, really are not 
you know, all that hopeful about, you know, where we're going to be in the, in the near future. A lot of them are worried about, you know, the things that they see happening all around the world, at the border, et cetera. Uh, and I think that that flows into one of the reasons why we're going to see, uh, I think, former President Trump do as well as I expect him to do tomorrow, uh, in part because they believe that this is a, a moment that demands hard men for hard times. And it is hard times. That's such a great insight, too, you know, in South Carolina. I I, I also talk about now I'm biased because I do spend every Fourth of July for the last literally 25 plus years in a place called Pauley's Island, South Carolina, which is near and dear to my heart. But, you know, it was basically uh, just off that South Carolina coast that when China decided to fly a spy balloon interjected the, the Traverse the entire country over some of our most sensitive uh, areas and in, in intelligence. Yeah, giving up, uh, giving up the equivalent of a floating middle yeah. finger that ran across the whole country. Exactly, yes. I mean, a floating middle finger. Where to get shot down? Off the coast of South Carolina. But I think you know the 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 inspiration. You're right. I mean, I, I think. And, and, and you're a better, you know, uh, histor- historian, if you will, someone that can put things into context. It, it does feel very much like, though, we are a little bit in a Cold War again with the likes of China, who, by the way, are, yeah. are trying to get to the moon uh, before us in Russia. It seems like we're kind of in the, the uh, you know, Cold War uh, part two, the sequel well, I, 50 years later. I think you're you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, the, the difference, the gap between the people who recognize that in our politics today and the people who refuse to recognize it uh, is getting wider and wider. The one uh, thing that I, uh, you know, it's very rare that I will credit the Biden administration with doing anything right. I think they've done so much wrong. But one of the handful of things that he kept in place, uh, you know, in, in because I think that there would have been too much uproar, uh, were some some of the new rules and, and sanctions and requirements put in place under President Trump as it relates to trade with China. Uh, and part of that, I think, is just that people have woken up to the idea, to the uh, understanding that basically the politics of 20 years ago as it related to China was completely wrong, that there was not going to be a path for them to uh, modernize and democratize or move uh, in a direction toward freedom. Instead, they've only become more authoritarian and they've only become uh, more interested in projecting their power. We didn't realize when we were importing all these cheap Chinese goods uh, that you know people could afford now that we were importing the Chinese values along with them. Uh, and they've really invaded so many different institutions, particularly our universities, but also, frankly, every one of our devices. You know, the, the presence of TikTok truly is something that – you know, is unlike anything we experienced during the Cold War with Russia. The ability to reach out and affect the minds, uh, sentiments, feelings, emotions, uh, and mental health of America's children in a way that, uh, you know, they, that Russia could never have hoped to achieve. Uh, it's a huge propaganda boon uh, for China. And I think that this new Cold War that we are embarked on with them is the central question of this coming election and the ones that are going to come after it uh, about whether we elect people who understand that or not. And, you know, you talk about that in, in such an eloquent way, and it, it's so on point. I just got back. I was spending the last past week out in Hakumba, California, which is ground mm-hmm. zero for the Chinese migrants coming across. And you may have seen, we've aired a yeah. bunch on Fox News, played, played on this radio show yesterday, a Chinese migrant. You know, most of them are single adults, many of those single adult males. And you've got to wonder why all of a sudden are they coming? And 
you know, Ben, there was only 450 total Chinese migrants across the entire southwest border for the entire fiscal year of 2021. Now, 2024, fast forward in just over four months, we've had more than 20,000, the majority of which, more than 90 percent, were right there in Hakumba, right there where we mm-hmm. were. And they tell me, the one guy told me on camera, he said, why'd you come to the U.S.? I said, take of the money. I'm like, jobs. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, jobs. I went back later when the camera wasn't rolling. I said, by the way, what, what kind of job do, do, do you hope to get? He said, computer. Computer job. <laughs> and it, and, and, and I, I was mentioning it to a border official off record because this administration muzzles those mm-hmm. officials from being able to talk and be transparent, which is why Bill Malusia and I are constantly trying to leak this stuff. I asked him about, you know, the, the job stuff, uh, and, and they said, you know, at the end of the day, there's the national security risk. And what we know in, in my own reporting, I was several months ago reporting about, you know, border officials briefing members of Congress behind closed doors over the concern of this rise in Chinese migrants having ties to the Communist Chinese Party. But but even from, you know, step back a few degrees from the national security risk, just the threat to our IP, the threat to intellectual yeah. property, knowing how good they're on it, you know. I actually haven't told this story, but Elon Musk, of course, revolutionized the the way we, our cars are in America now. However, mm-hmm. he also started this company, Starlink, which allows you in remote places to set up a satellite. And so in Hakumba, California, there's no cell signal. So we have, thanks to Elon Musk, a Starlink satellite. So I set up so I can get my little live view uh, transmitter so that you can see my live mm-hmm. shots from there and see all these migrants. And yet... At one point, my cameraman said, there's 37 people on our Starlink. What the heck? It's bringing the signal down. And sure mm-hmm. enough, all the Chinese migrants are sitting there with their phones yeah. out because they're on. And we said, yeah. how did they get on there? It's like, well, they this is what they do. They're very good at this. Yeah. They invented this stuff. And it just sort of is a snapshot. Well, of a threat I, I think possible. that's that's a very uh, I'm, I'm glad you shared that story. That's a fascinating uh, experience. But, you know, I, you said something really important there, which is that it's not just about the national security risk. Because people sort of they could they could play up and say, oh, well, this is you know, you're just assuming that they're they're, you know, terrorist hating Americans, terrorists who hate Americans or something like that. That's not actually the, the, the assumption that we're making. We're making a very logical assumption about knowing that when a Chinese national comes here, that they have family back home, that they have people who they care about back home, and that the party reaches out and touches them and can demand anything of them. And that includes, of course, stealing IP, stealing information, you know, in, engaging in, in activity that is designed to harm America and is designed to uh, help China and boost them. And that's something that they're going to continue to do, whether they get that computer job or not. Uh, once they come here. And it's it's very telling that you've seen this increase. And the thing that I hope everybody understands who watches that footage, when when people of that uh, in that kind of mass way uh, from one nation cross the border in a particular place, it is not something that's just happening organically. It is planned. They all, uh, you know, this is planned ahead. It runs through the cartels that control the border. Uh, everybody has to pay them in order to be able to cross. Uh, and it's, it's something that really is an indictment that the 
southern aspect of the border controlled by the cartels uh, is more functionally controlled than our uh, side of the border uh, and with these people coming in. They know more about where we are than we know about where they are. And that's something that is really an indictment of this administration and every bit of uh, its approach to the border, which has been, I, I think, just an absolute travesty. It's it's something that, you know, I I frankly think that impeaching Mayorkas is something that should have been done day one when Republicans took the House back. That's my own opinion. But it's one of these things that is just an absolute failure. No one can actually defend it. And that's why Democrats are worried about it. That's why they're trying to navigate around it. That's why we saw the Long Island situation with Tom Swosey, uh, you know, basically trying to say, well, it's Republicans who don't care about the border issue because of shooting down that Senate package. But that's something that I think, you know, it was is just a messaging equivalent uh, for it's a messaging approach that the Democrats are using. It's not real. We all know it's not real. And that's why when the president announces whatever he's going to announce about, uh, you know, using uh, various orders and the like to try to clamp down on the on the border, we can't take that seriously because he's been saying all along that he needed Congress to act in order to do what he needed to do on the on the border from the get go, which is reverse his ridiculous policies. Boy, and we'll see exactly what this, you know, President Biden's talking, Ben, about he's going to finally do some executive uh, orders, going to take action after, by the way, saying on camera that there was nothing he could do and Republicans won't give him the money. Now he's actually going to do something. And I, 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 will, I will submit to you this. If whatever executive order they do, because they're going to try and do this, I think, around the State of the Union and, and do a reset, whatever executive order they do, if it's not something akin if not verbatim, to remain in Mexico, mm-hmm. which was very successful in the Trump administration in bringing the numbers down because migrants don't want to live in Juarez, Tijuana, Matamoros. Yeah. They want to live in the United States. If, if it's not – if it is an executive order like remain in Mexico, I just think it's going to not be even taken seriously uh, by, by those whose uh, jobs I, – I absolutely, I absolutely agree, and I think that – and I think that Democrats, frankly, uh, who are running for re-election, many of them in red states this time in the Senate, uh, if Democrats don't understand they need that in order to be able to uh, send their team back and, and keep hold of the Senate in Washington, uh, then I think that they're being very foolish. And these, these red state Democrat senators should be clamoring for the White House to do as much as possible on this because it's their Achilles heel and, and they know it. And look, I think it's, it's top of mind for a lot of people in terms of the concerns that we have among you know many others that are going around, on around the world at this moment. Uh, but it's something where it really is, again, a, a choice that the administration made, a choice to back away from these hard-edged policies uh, that worked to please their progressive base. Uh, and now they're stuck with the political ramifications of it. Always insightful, one of the most important conservative voices and an all-around awesome guy, Ben Dominich, editor-at-large, The Spectator. Hey, man, have a great weekend. It'll be fascinating to see what happens in South Carolina and whether or not Haley gets out. I, I, You know, it's really fascinating. I was talking to Byron New York and telling him, I remember in 2016 when Ted Cruz came in with the head of steam and all the momentum, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, a guy named Donald Trump took South Carolina almost organically by surprise. He didn't nearly have the ground game that then Ted Cruz did. And, of course, we know the history. Fast forward to today, you have got the governor, McMaster, Senator Tim Scott, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, the who's who of the GOP in South Carolina, all lock and step with Donald Trump. It's going to be an interesting uh, uh, primary down there in the low country tomorrow. Ben, thank you. Have a great, great weekend, my friend. Take care. All right.
This is Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, filling in for the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's 866-408-7669. If you want to give us a call, we'll talk about anything. Literally, free-for-all Friday. Give us a shout. We'll be right back. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Oh, we are talking, all right. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble DC correspondent, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm having too much fun. Honestly, thank you for letting us be here. Give us a call, 866-408-7669. I'm talking in the break about something with Eric and Allison, the great producers here, about about an, a topic that is like the water cooler topic everyone's talking about, but there's not that much news. And that's that cell phone outage, right? AT&T cell phone outage goes out. And in full disclosure, if I'm being honest, I have an AT, AT&T phone, and it doesn't work all that great all the time. It depends on where you are in the country, but uh, it can be very frustrating, particularly when you use it. For your job, like calling into things like radio shows. But the the question is, do we know everything about what happened? And was it actually just a glitch of sorts or was it something more sinister that they're not telling us? Because we do know that there are attacks, hacks happening constantly. I was just a month ago or so covering a, a threat hack to our to our most sensitive military. We have had the colonial pipeline that we know that was very debilitating. But there's always this fear that that sinister actors such as. China, who we know that the Chinese hacking threat is greater. They have more uh, hacking actors for, for the Chinese operation we know of that is more than all of the combined countries that we have uh, enemies with from North Korea to Iran to Russia. China has more. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I've been watching a lot of China spill across our border illegally in Hakuma, California. We'll dig into it. We'll find you some answers. And we want you to have a great weekend. Griff Jenkins filling in on the Brian Kilmeade Show. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Happy Friday. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am your humble correspondent from the Washington, D.C. Bureau, Griff Jenkins, filling the great shoes of Brian Kilmeade. It's great to be here. For anybody just tuning in, it's a special opportunity and great honor for me, not only because I love Brian and he's such a talented radio host and and TV broadcaster, but also because I first met Brian when he was filling in for the Tony Snow Show, God rest his soul, a mentor of mine. 
filling in as a guest host for Tony's radio show, which I then produced, sitting on the other side of that glass, pushing the buttons, and now I get to get behind the mic and look out, buckle up. I get to say all sorts of crazy things that I wouldn't otherwise say and perhaps expound on and extrapolate some of the coverage of important stories I've been doing, like the border. We've been talking about that, and we've been talking about the sanctions, and we've been talking about that winner-take-all primary down in South Carolina, whether or not Nikki Haley ends up being the Black Knight from Monty Python's Holy Grail and and won't get out, or whether she might surprise us, and maybe it's not over. Maybe Trump hasn't locked the nomination. I'm not sure that's the case, but we'll find out. Meanwhile, we're also talking about that little moment of American greatness, that that signature exceptionalism that we were so great at 50 years ago, did it again yesterday, put an American moon lunar on the South Pole surface of the moon, not China, not Russia, not North Korea. It was America, baby, that did it, and capitalists did it. NASA went for a ride. This time, we took a capitalism Uber with Intuitive Machines being the company that put that together, and NASA, of course, was partner, and it's a commercial government partnership, and I can't wait to see the images we get from that. So, with all of that out there, give us a call, 866-408-7669. We've got one of the coolest, funniest, greatest guy at all of Fox News who I've had the privilege to work with occasionally and was once, only one time, because I probably screwed it up, but one time got on his radio show. He is the host on Fox News Radio of Fox Across America, and he has an awesome, hilarious Saturday night show you can watch as well. Jimmy Fallon joining us live right now. Jimmy, I've been looking forward to having you on all day. Now, this is a big deal, Griff Jenkins, and just to be clear so people understand my show, uh, you have only been on once. We have a very high threshold for guests. We, oddly enough, have a low threshold for hosts on my show. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's usually supposed to be the reverse. Uh, we've got it kind of backwards, but it's working. We're having a good time. I love it. Hey, listen, so I don't know, you know, they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel, dragging me on, but I'm so excited. You heard me say that in the control so. room? You heard me say that? I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I love you, bro. But, 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 you know, I think I was like, hey, where's Brian? You know, this kid took some time off. But I heard from secret sources whispering in my ear, there's an outside chance he could have gone down under, maybe even went as far as Australia. Wow. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me, oh, my God, he went to a Taylor Swift concert because as – one of Fox's resident Swifties, mm-hmm. and I unabashedly love Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I have reasons for it, which I can justify with a 22-year-old daughter Fair. who basically I feel like I grew up with Taylor Swift. I think it may have been <laughs> the first or second concert I ever took my daughter to back in the other eras or whatever album yeah. was popular then, <laughs> the Romeo Juliet song. Now, you know, full circle, like Taylor Swift, his, 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 and I know that a lot of people like to attack her. And of course, football fans are all mad about the Kansas City Chiefs. And by the way, I bet on Taylor Swift. She should have gotten the MVP in the Super Bowl. But, <laughs> but, 
but but you know, you look back at here we are heading into a presidential election, and the country is economically struggling. No matter what, you know, obscure uh, in core inflation metric that's reducing, people are feeling the pain at the gas station, at the grocery store, and elsewhere. But let me tell you, Swiftnomics, right? <laughs> this is Taylor Swift's economy, as yeah. the Wall Street Journal had a headline. We're just living in it. She is awesome, and she has added nearly, if not in excess of 5 Billion. That's with a B to our GDP going to all the American tours. And now she's doing the same thing for other countries. Melbourne, Australia, the most recent concert where she just teased this new album Mm. and some new song she's got coming out. Two new songs. One's called Albatross. The other's The Bolter. I don't know what any of this means. I just love it. And I like to ride SoulCycle and listen to Taylor Swift. (laughs) What say you? What what insights on on uh, Swift Mania can you give us? Well, first of all, I don't know anything about the Australia swing. Um, the only time I visit Australia is at the Outback Steakhouse. Uh, I'm I'm not the most cultured guy here at Fox. Most of my foreign travel took place at Epcot. You know, down in Florida, I haven't really been to that many countries. <laughs> you love the blooming onion. Yeah, I, I love a good blooming onion. Uh, but the Taylor Swift thing, I, I am not one of those people who like resents her or resents her exposure to the NFL. I mean, if you looked at it this way, even if you really did hate Taylor Swift, as Americans, we'd have to admit that it's nice to see someone pretending to be a chief besides Elizabeth Warren. Hey, oh, <laughs> there it is. Good night, everybody. Go. But no, it's good. And I, that I, listen, you want to know what I love about Taylor Swift for real? I'm a big fan of the feel-good economy. The feel-good economy. Music, movies, sports for the most part, comedy. That's what I come from. That's, you know, kind of where I make my living is in comedy clubs and in theaters and stuff like that. So the feel-good economy, when you see it, you know, flourishing – I consider that a good sign for the country, if only because people are investing their money in things that bring them joy as opposed to things that bring them anger and agitation because there's enough of that in the world, which is why everyone listening, and you know this, Griff, I'm just beating you to the punch, but everyone listening should just be logging on to my website to buy comedy tickets right now. It's foxacrossamerica.com, and you should come see me on a 40-city tour. It's better than Taylor Swift because this is the one tour where you're better looking (laughs) than the star. You go to see Taylor Swift, it's going to demoralize you. She looks good in those rhinestone (laughs) outfits. I don't look that good in those rhinestone outfits. I'm going to wear them. Okay, I'm going to hit the dance moves, but I'm more like a Lizzo than a Taylor Swift, I think. No, you got moves like Jagger, baby, and I've seen those outfits on the 20th floor of Fox when I've been up there filling in for something. And, you know, it's it's very interesting that you you bring that up, and and, and we we need to plug the the 40-city tour. Uh, Where where are you going to be next? Well, it's the Everybody Calm Down Tour. It kicks off March 1st. I'm going to be in Idaho Falls, the Colonial Theater, uh, next Friday. And then Saturday, I'm in Sacramento at the Crest Theater. Uh, The word on the street is Gavin Newsom is coming to heckle me. been back and forth with his comms team so if they show up that would be hilarious because i'm not that would be picking a fight with a guy i'll i'll do comedy and we'll have fun that would be dynamite now now, people listen right now how do how do they get tickets how do you get to go go to my website every show that's currently on sale is at foxacrossamerica.com and that's tickets to every site, uh, every show that I'm going to this summer. Some of them aren't on sale yet, like the July dates. I'm going to be in Vegas and Colorado Springs and Pikes Peak. Uh, I'll be in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi at the IP Casino. But those dates don't go on sale till like May. Uh, but everything else that's on sale, foxacrossamerica.com. Free tickets for you, of course, Griff.
Listen, I'm going. And you bring up a really great point, and that is, you know, we've lost uh, uh, that the, love the, and feeling, the, the joy, the, well, that okay. love and feeling. Okay. But we've lost the 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 real art of of performance and, and having performers and mm-hmm. talented artists like yourself oh. and in the same vein taylor swift you know it's all on our phones it's all netflix yeah, yeah. it's all on tiktok like we don't get to go in and you know in new york to, people yeah. still buy broadway tickets and mm-hmm. of course we lost a little bit in covid but but you know if i can just tune out my ever love and miserable life for two hours and just sit and watch Jimmy Fallon entertain oh, wow. me and make me laugh and maybe have a beer mm-hmm. or go dance and scream and yell with, uh, you know, 20,000 uh, young women to Taylor Swift, which, by the way, I can't afford a ticket to those uh, shows like a gazillion dollars to get there. It's 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 lost. It's yeah. really lost. And even you look at like, you know, it seems to me, you know, I don't. But it, it seems to me there's fewer or fewer comics like when I do go on social media on instagram or tiktok i i, I particularly like to see the comics and, uh-huh. and there's not as many well, out there but you know and, what and that's reflective musicians, of that... mu- musicians don't play instruments anymore <laughs> well what's in your feed is usually reflective of what you've previously liked so maybe lay off the feet pics uh you'll probably start to see more <laughs> comics come your way i kid uh it, re- it really does depend though because your phone like you and me cover news so we click on a lot of news so the phone just gives us a lot of news but there is like comedy right now is going through a boom uh not as much on social media because the problem with social media and this is why you don't see a lot of it is because in a comedy club we're safe and what I mean by that is 99.9% of the people who come to the comedy club show up to laugh. And even if they do get offended by a joke, you have 99% of the room on your side and you can kind of make fun of them non-maliciously and you'll be okay. The problem for comedy is the internet in the sense that people are now consuming comedy and they're not in a communal environment where they've consumed a two-drink minimum and they're in on the joke with 300 other strangers. And that's where the internet gives comedy a hard time because it's now being consumed by scolds who just want want the credit for being offended. I don't mean they are offended. I mean we've incentivized outrage. So there's a lot of people that'll go after, say, a Dave Chappelle because there's a relevance that comes from doing it. There's a clout you get from victimhood. And that's where I get frustrated with people going after the feel-good economy because the whole point of comedy is, hey, the world's on fire. We're just over here roasting marshmallows. You know, we're supposed (laughs) to be the respite while we're waiting for the fire truck to show up because Comics ain't saving the world. We're just holding it together and controlling the blaze. Listen, if you if you you know have to laugh to keep from crying, that's the saying my mom always told me, and it works. And you know, this is an interesting perspective that that listeners are getting right now because you're on the front lines of this, and you wrote a great, uh, amazing book, Cancel Culture Dictionary: The A to Z Guide to Winning the War on Fun. And you, you this cancel culture we live when. when you are asked the question that a lot of us have said that are of our age, I'm 53, you know, could movies like Blazing Saddles or Airplane mm. be made today? Could comics, you know, like, yeah. uh, uh, oh, gosh, Eddie what? Murphy or, you know, uh, who who are the greats of, of yeah. I would oh, say yeah. Lenny Bruce. That, but Jerry, that's, yeah. Let, yeah, Lenny, but, but I get what you're going for. And you're basically saying could the modern speech standards – um, get past that content. The truth is, like, if you'd make Blazing Saddles today, 
you'd have to remove the offensive joke. So the movie would be 38 seconds long. It would be a third. Be, <laughs> exactly. like be like a digital short. Uh, but listen, the truth is, OK, we push the envelope pretty hard at my shows and certainly on my Saturday night TV show. Because it's just comedy. And at the end of the day, you've got to curate for the people who know the difference between a joke and a hate crime. And that's the vast majority of people because you don't want the other folks determining what we can and can't make. I mean, think about it. If the people get upset by comedy, become the arbiters of what joke you can tell. These are people with no understanding of the medium. If you opened a steakhouse tomorrow, you're not hiring a vegan to be the executive you know, chef. You're just not. You know, you need a steak guy. And so that's what we've got to do as comics. And one note I would give to everybody who listens to The Killmeade Show for comedic direction, and I know that's most of the industry, um, is you're never going to break out by fitting in. So this idea that there are these new speech rules we should adhere to, you're never going to break out doing that. I'm not saying you should be provocative for the sake of being provocative, but I'm saying you should absolutely own your space because as a comic, the people who pop are the people who go for it. You know, if you think back to like Andrew Dice Clay in the 80s, it was such an over-the-top persona with the leather and the glasses and the rhinestones and the cigarettes, but it popped because it stuck with an audience. You're like, hey, the guy with the cigarettes and the thing and the poems, you know, and that's what you need to be as a comic, the superhero version of yourself. That allows you to save other people's days because you couldn't save your childhood. And that's why you wound up in showbiz. And you get an opportunity to see the superhero self of Jimmy Fallon. If you go to Fox, foxacrossamerica.com, you get a 40-city tour. That's amazing. I promise. I mark my word. I am coming to a show. Oh. I would encourage all of our listeners Well, if you're coming, it. I will alert security. All right. That's good to know. I'm <laughs> you definitely I'm better I do that. You do do that. All right. He's Jimmy Fallon, a funny guy, a friend, and an insightful artist out there funny. doing that great thing called stand-up comedy. Be sure and check it out. Jimmy, have a great weekend, man. You too, Griff. You're the best. See you, brother. All right, buddy. See you later. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, just a news guy, a reporter, trying to fill the great shoes of Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Give us a shout. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is what we came to see, the legacy of Pablo Escobar. It's almost nightfall. The hippos are beginning to get a lot more active. We know already one is going out of the water on the other side. We're getting closer to see if we can get a look while maintaining a safe distance. But this is when... They come out to feed. They spent the day in the water, docile. Now, when they come out to eat, and they'll eat all night long, they're also active. Well over a half a dozen or more as a large, maybe a male, opening its jaws. We're navigating the paths that they come out of the lake to go and find food. They eat all night long. But when they come out of the water, it's when they're most dangerous. They are Colombia's most invasive species. Three tons of pure muscle that can run 30 miles an hour and trample humans into a horrific, painful, gruesome death. They are, of course, 
the drug lords hippos. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble DC correspondent, filling in for Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. A shameless plug, thanks to Eric and Allison letting me give a plug for a Fox Nation special that I did. You know, every so often, and people ask me all the time, they're like, you have the coolest job in America. And I said, I really do. I get to see a front row seat to history, interviewing Zelensky to the border, and every so often, a story comes down the pike, and you're like, man, that was the coolest story I ever did. I love it. And that was, we had seen, uh, the Fox Nation producers had seen, I believe it was a New York Times article that was talking about this invasive species crisis that Colombia, the country of South American country of Colombia, has. And this is because in 1993, when Pablo Escobar was killed, the famous drug lord, he had a private zoo at his cocaine uh, uh, mansion ranch. He had zebras, tigers, giraffes, you name it. He had all these animals. And the government went in and got rid of all the animals and donated them to South American zoos and the like. And there were four hippos. And they were so violent, so aggressive, so difficult, so large, they said, eh, they'll die off. Wrong. As one expert told me in Colombia in this special on Fox Nation, she says it is hippo heaven in that they have a hippo time bomb because four, just four, turned into a dozen, turned into dozens, turned into a hundred, turned into a hundreds. People are getting hurt, and now they don't know what to do with them. And you can see them up close and personal. And, of course, my terrible version of trying to be Steve Irwin in the bush. But you'll enjoy it nonetheless. They're scary beasts. Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmeade Show on an important Friday, on a happy Friday, on a Friday when America is still exceptional. We'll be right back. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In response to Putin's brutal war of conquest, in response to uh, Alexei Navalny's death, because make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Alexei's death. Yesterday I met with Alexei's wife and daughter in California, where his daughter attends college. Alexei was an incredibly courageous man. His family is courageous as well. I assured them his legacy will continue to live around the world. And we in the United States are going to continue to ensure that Putin pays the price for his aggression abroad and repression at home. President Biden at the White House saying that Vladimir Putin will pay a price. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade on this Friday afternoon. And, and, and let me just say, as the president makes those remarks, unveiling at the Treasury Department, the president's second round or, or however many rounds, but what is billed as the toughest round of new sanctions on Russia, reportedly, according to Victoria Newland at the Undersecretary of State saying that it's going to actually target some of those believed to be involved in Navalny's death. But the problem is that the 
Sanctions going back almost two years that were already on Russia have simply failed to have an impact. You have in the past two years, you have had the economy of Russia grow by some three percent. They spend more on their war machine, their their spending on, on defense issues, nine percent of their GDP more than the US. And so the question now is, is this going to have any effect? And part of the problem of why the previous sanctions were ineffective was because that the U.S. wasn't able to hold uh, their feet to the fire on these sanctions. And so Russia was selling cheap, dirty oil to places like China and India and others that would buy it. And they were allowed to continue to go forward. We'll see if the sanctions enforcement will ramp up and whether or not the friends of Russia will continue to be in place, an issue that needs to be dealt with on the world stage. We'll find out more. But one thing is for sure, as we approach tomorrow, the two-year anniversary of the invasion, Russia's invasion in Ukraine, an issue that I covered and traveled to Kiev, interviewed President Zelensky, the world really is at war. And young people, our children, see nothing but conflict out there. And, of course, when you talk to voters in this election, we're about to have the primary in South Carolina. Everywhere you go in this country, it seems there's a grim view of life as it exists today. And no one absorbs that more than our kids. I remember having a teenage daughter starting high school during COVID, another dark chapter of our lives, and that clearly impacted her and all of her friends. And as we we face all of the 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 terrible things like war and the situation going on in the Middle East, children need an escape. And thankfully there is literally a guy I'm calling Hollywood's hero, and I, of course, grew up watching him, and it's amazing uh, the the important player in Hollywood that he has become, not just the talented uh, actor that he is. Kirk Cameron, actor, writer, producer, and author, joining us in studio. Hey, Kirk, it's Griff Jenkins. Listen, man, I am so honored to be able to talk to you, and I want to talk about a new project you've got going. But but just even before we talk about this latest kids show, which, by the way, I've read you call one of the most important projects you've ever worked on, I'm really, I just want to give you kudos and tell you how impressed uh, the in, in the accomplishments you have made in Hollywood in trying to get some of those with a woke agenda, as you will, to influence our kids in a negative way. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Hey, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for all of the encouragement. You know, I'm, I'm a father of six children. My wife and I have lived in California. Uh, we worked in Hollywood. And so this is our background. And I, I feel like you need to bloom where God has planted you. And so I want to lean into children's television and entertainment because this is one of the greatest ways that we can um, positively impact the future is by investing in the culture-forming places like Hollywood and music, uh, television, film industry. The more we vacate those places, people with lesser values fill the void and they end up controlling the future. Why not go into those places and actually make the future better? Ah, so well spoken. And, you know, I think 
at least in my experience, and, and I have two daughters. They're 22 and 18, and so, you know, they're getting older now. One graduated from college, another's about to go. But you really don't realize just how pervasive and how quickly those with an agenda will fill the void until it's almost too late. And, and, and from your perspective, because you're on the front line actually trying to change it, how bad is it? It's, it's really bad. It's, it's extremely yeah. bad. Um, we just turn on the news and, and, and we have this sickened feeling in the in our guts, in the very heart of our soul. We know that there is something very, very wrong with regard to the core values of the leadership of our nation. And the problem is it all happened on our watch. So we can't really point out there to other people and say, well, it's these guys fault. And those. I, I get it. But. When we founded this nation and we understood the value of life and liberty and property and we looked to God for our help and we owned the responsibility of educating our children and controlling forces of evil and keeping them at bay, somehow we decided that maybe comfort was better, maybe safety was better, give the job over to the government. And we've essentially handed our children to Caesar – to be educated, and now we're shocked and surprised that they've come back Romans with one-third of Gen Z now buying the the, the government line, which is, hey, I'm non-binary, or I'm 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 gay, lesbian, <laughs> transgender, or or queer, and I'm only eight and a half years old. Yeah. Well, that happens on our watch. And so if we want it to turn around, we've got to get back to nourishing the root that produces sweet fruit, not just complain that the fruit has gone rotten on our watch. You're so right. It is our watch. This is this is our fault if we don't do anything. Which is good you news. Are doing That's actually good news, I think. My, my personal view is that that gives us hope. If this happened on our watch and we're the ones to look to, that means I don't have to convince the woke industries out there and, and get them to come over to the good side because I think that we, we as the family of faith, we as people who love God, who love this country, who love our families, if, if we stand for what we know is right, I believe that God then comes to the aid of our cause and the winds of justice that blow from heaven will help us along our way. So well said, Kirk Cameron, actor, writer, producer, and author, joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, Kirk, let's talk about this latest TV, children's TV show, you know, bringing yeah. some wholesome entertainment for, for the families, which, by the way, will be so gratefully uh, appreciated. It's called Adventures with Iggy and Mr. Kirk. <laughs> Tell me, what, what what is it? What was the idea behind it? And what do you hope to accomplish with it? It's kind of a funny follow-up. The Adventures with Iggy and Mr. Kirk, after talking about <laughs> you know political science and the source of uh, moral authority. But it really – it is important. Listen, how are your children being brainwashed politically? How are their morals being turned inside out and upside down through Blue's Clues, through Coco Melon, through Sesame Street, through, through children's programming – it's amazing. And so the stories that we tell kids are important. The power of storytelling uh, is able to shape human beings' identities. 
it not only unlocks their imagination, it transports them to other realms of belief where they identify with their favorite characters and want to become like them. That's why we're seeing uh, this infection of wrong ideas, and we have such an identity crisis in America. So Adventures with Iggy and Mr. Kirk, think of a brand-new Mr. Rogers neighborhood, only uh, greatly updated with beautiful animation, with hilarious dialogue, high energy, guest stars at every turn, and we're crowdfunding the whole thing so that Hollywood and a streaming platform cannot take down the values and turn us woke. And we want everybody to participate and be a part of this, just like we did with The Chosen. We want to make this children's program of timeless moral values in a show that parents can trust. Uh, And we're inviting everyone to join us at watchbrave.com. That's watchbrave.com. And uh, help us. You'll see all the cool rewards. You can even have your yeah. one of your kids or grandkids be in one of the episodes of the show or get red carpet premiere tickets to the grand opening and hang out with me and the rest of the stars of the show. And um, it, it's going to be a great time. Let's do it together. I can't wait. My my niece's son is prime for this, like five years old. We're going to get him on. Oh, man, this. he's going to love Iggy. Watchbrave.com. I can't wait to watch Adventures with Iggy and Mr. Kirk. And, you know, you mentioned The Chosen. Boy, was that amazing. And, you know, it just occurred to me, I was like, gosh, I've never gotten to talk to Kirk Cameron in person uh, or over the radio about The Chosen. Uh, Myself, like millions of Americans, were really taken by it. You know, did did you foresee the success that The Chosen would have? Did you think it was going to be that big of a of a smash hit or or did you sort of put it out there and hope it would lead somewhere? I think we always have to put things out there and hope that it's going to lead some somewhere. Um, we, we shouldn't be arrogant enough uh, to believe that everything that we do is so good it's going to be uh, a big success. And it's also encouraging that uh, a smaller organization and Dallas Jenkins and his team put together something that has clearly been blessed by God. I, I think that's the way it works. Um, God multiplies what he loves. Uh, and, and I think all of us, when we sat in the movie theater and watched The Passion of the Christ, we understood that there is a whole new market here because for our whole lives, we've read the scriptures. And now it comes to life in such a magnificent way that, uh, you know, I, I want to see more of this. And The Chosen gives us that very personal relational side between Jesus Christ and his best friends, the people closest to him throughout his three-year ministry, uh, not just his death, his crucifixion, but all the times when they laughed, when they joked, when they sat by the campfire, when they had breakfast and dinner together, through all the betrayal and all of the joy. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that makes that thrills the human heart, and we need to make more of it, and, and I want to be at the center of it. Kirk Cameron joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And you're right. God blessed it. And and when you were saying that, and and I've been here today and and yesterday getting to the huge honor of filling in on the radio. And you wouldn't know this, Kirk, but I I was a producer for radio back in the 90s. And so it's kind of a full circle uh, life moment for me to be able to sit behind the microphone and talk. And and I remember when I I started my young career in the 90s and, and talk radio, you know, there was only one. The one and only king, Rush Limbaugh, and he always had one of his great monikers was talent on loan from God. And he always drove <laughs> that point home. And and he was, you know, the best of the best. There'll never be another one like like Rush, uh, who died uh, nearly uh, three years ago to the day. It was it was mid-February, I believe, when he when he passed. But 
I digress. I want to, before I run out of time, because I've only got a minute or so here, I want to ask you, you know, I have covered as a reporter uh, the stories when we get these polls out there and you talk about the the number of particularly young people, uh, 20-somethings, that have really left the church, have left religion altogether, and not even just young people, uh, all Americans that say that they don't identify with any religion it's clearly going in a very troubling way. What are your thoughts? I, I, listen, I think there's a lot of churches that need to shut down. I think there are a lot of cl- uh, churches that closed their doors during COVID who ought to just lock them and keep them shut because they're not staying loyal to the truth of God's word. And um, many of them are just failing to understand the, the very structure of our country and our constitution based on the biblical principles that they preach. And we need to stand against tyranny. So I like to see this as a sifting, as a filtering. I I see this as a time of shaking, and the true and the real, the genuine, will stand up. And I'm finding more and more people are coming to congregations of people who are authentic and genuine, not this uh, this religious syrupy, sappy stuff that ought to go away anyway. Yes, so well said. And that optimism and encouragement, I hope you're right. Kirk Cameron, he is, of course, the actor, writer, producer, and author. And he's got a new hit on the way for children, Adventures with Iggy. And Mr. Kirk, you can go to watchbrave.com and find out more about it. Kirk, thank you very much. Have a blessed Friday and a great weekend, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, th- thanks for this this morning. It was great having you on. It's Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, trying to fill the giant shoes of Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Why the southern part of the moon? Because there's water on the moon. Who would have thought? Frozen water in the form of ice crystals because of cometary impacts over the last four billion years. That area of the moon is under shadows, permanent shadows. Comets that impacted that area left telltale signs of water crystals. And so we think that the moon could become a refueling station for astronauts. Astronauts going to Mars, they stop on the moon to refuel because we think there's enough ice crystals left over from these cometary impacts. This is potentially a game changer. A game changer, says Michio Kaku, a space genius, talking about the moon may just be, as Eric Albin, our great producer, pointed out, a gas station on America's road to Mars. A huge, significant accomplishment that's happened here late yesterday afternoon, early evening. I'm Griff Jenkins. Filling in on the Brian Kilmeade Show, having far too much fun than any human should indeed have. And I wanted to take just a few moments here and there throughout the show to talk about why, for a guy that's 53, that was literally just two years old, a toddler, when America put a man on the moon, and then having grown up uh, in the wake of, of how great it was. And remember, there was a time in this country when we were as united as 
as we were perhaps after 9-11 when people came together. But just in any general, any old, say, late February Saturday across this great country from California to the East Coast where Americans were just simply proud of the exceptionalism, of the fortitude, of the sacrifice and the commitment and the faith that they had in one another, the belief that they could do anything. The belief that there wasn't anything Americans couldn't do when they decided to come together to do it. And now here in what is, by all accounts, a new modern 2.0 Cold War with China, who wants it to place us, with Russia. And China, by the way, wanting to put something on the moon as well. But guess what? We got there first. And we did it with capitalism, private Industry, intuitive machines gave NASA a ride, and hopefully we'll soon get some moon crater images from the South Pole. And the advancement of space continues with one person in the driver's seat, one leader, and that is these great United States of America. This is your humble D.C. correspondent, Griff Jenkins, filling in for Brian Kilmeade. He'll be back next week, but boy, it's been fun sitting in. Have a great Friday. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.